you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them please to the third gospel, the gospel of Luke. This morning we're going to look at chapter 24, first six verses for our scripture reading. Testimonies that Jesus is alive. Testimonies that Jesus is alive. Luke chapter 24. And let's read together the first six verses. Now upon the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women all came together to the sepulcher, bringing with them spices which they had prepared and certain other spices with them. And they found the stone had been rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men who were angels stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to these angels, the angels spoke to the women and said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, speaking of Jesus. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. We're all proud of our children if we be parents. But we're all prouder of our grandchildren if we be grandparents. Children can do wrong. Grandchildren do nothing wrong. It's the fault of the parents. Well, a very proud grandfather was talking to his six-year-old granddaughter. And he asked her, did she know the Easter story? And she said, Granddaddy, I know that story very well. We learned it at school and we've learned it at church. And Granddaddy said, well, tell it to me. She said, I'll be glad to. Jesus was crucified, and his body was buried. And then they rolled a big stone in front of his tomb, and a bunch of soldiers guarded it. And then on the third day, there was an earthquake, and the stone was rolled away, and Jesus came out alive. And then he saw his shadow. And he went back inside for six weeks because winter was coming. <laughs> now that little girl is like perhaps some of us. She's got part of the Easter story right, but not all of the Easter story right. You see, many people can get right the mockings and the beatings of Jesus. Many people can get right the fact that Jesus was crucified. Many people can get right the fact that Jesus was buried. But for some reason, people seem to get confused. They seem to, to struggle. They seem to be challenged on the fact that Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. Now this morning, what I'd like to do in a very simple way, is present to you evidences, testimonies, if you will, that Jesus is alive. Because I don't want you to be challenged. 
I don't want you to be doubtful. I don't want you to be confused. I want you to be able to stand just like not long ago we did in this service and be able to shout with everything in you, He's alive! Not because Pastor Jim says so, but because I know so. And so let's look at some of the testimonies that help us understand the fact that Jesus is alive. The first testimony that Jesus is alive is going to come from the Bible itself, from the Scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the greatest Christian man who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, wrote these words. He said, all Scripture, all Scripture that is found in the Bible whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether it be in Genesis, the first book, or Revelation, the last book, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, the entire Bible that you have in your hand comes from God Himself. It does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's inspired. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It applies to every man of every generation. It is a living book. It's contemporary. It's relevant. It's modernized. It fits us today just like it fit the people in the day in which it was written. And in that Bible, there's specifically four books that tell us the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And do you know that although these Gospels, as they're called, these Gospels were written by four different men at four different places and time. They all say the same thing. Jesus is alive. And the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, an angel announces to Mary at the tomb, Jesus is not here, he is risen. And Mark chapter 16 an angel again is told to us that to be at the tomb. And he says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, but he is risen. And the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which we just read in our scripture reading, the angels testify to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. And then in the Gospel of John, John writes in the 14th chapter of the Gospel that bears his name, how Mary saw Jesus herself. She went to the tomb and she didn't see an angel. She saw the risen Christ herself. And he said, Mary, why are you crying? Who are you seeking? She saw him. She heard him, experienced him herself. These writers, every one of them said the same thing. He's alive. They said it because they saw it, they heard it, experienced it themselves, or they heard it from somebody else who had. What they say in their Gospels, they say without any hesitation, without any reservation, without any stutter, without any stammer. They say it loudly, they say it clearly, Jesus is alive. Now, people will live a lie. But people will not die for a lie. Are you listening to me?
people will live a lie. We got some people that do that. They know something's not true, but they will carry on with the, the deception because it doesn't cost them anything. They live a lie. But no man will die for a lie. And do you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all died horrible deaths? Primarily because they absolutely refused to refute the truth that Jesus is alive. They went to their grave announcing to a lost and dying world that they served a living Savior. So the scriptures testify that Jesus is alive. But not only the scriptures, the stone testifies that Jesus is alive. And John chapter 20, verse 1, John writes these words. He says, the stone is taken away from the tomb. When the ladies arrived at the tomb that first Easter, they were amazed at what they found. They found the stone that blocked the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. It was moved. Now, we don't think that's such a big deal, perhaps, because we've seen the Hollywood movies. We've read the comic books. Don't believe everything Hollywood says, nor everything that's in a comic book. This stone that was used to block the tomb of Jesus was really a big wheel. It was made of stone that weighed probably up to two tons, 4,000 pounds of a round stone that would take 10 to 15 men to roll into place. And this was the door that sealed the tomb where Jesus' body was laid. And John says when the women arrived, the stone was taken away. That word or that phrase, taken away, is an interesting phrase. It doesn't mean just to be pushed back. Somebody took that stone, picked it up, and chunked it. That's what John was saying. Somebody came and took that stone, picked it up, 4,000 pounds of it, and chunked it out of the way. Didn't roll it out of the way, threw it out of the way. I wonder who did that. May I suggest to you it was not moved by a man. There's no man that could do that. It was moved by the power of God himself. God moved that stone. And that stone wasn't moved to let Jesus out. It was moved to let those women in. Third testimony. The scriptures testify he's alive. The stone testifies he's alive. The seal testifies he's alive. Matthew 27, verse 66 says, The Roman soldiers, under the command of Pontius Pilate, that crooked, corrupt Roman governor, along with the religious leaders who are as wicked as you can be, 
They all got together and said, put the body of Jesus in the tomb. Seal it with a 4,000-pound stone. And then put the Roman seal on the stone. Now, the Roman seal in that day was like a long piece of rope. If you can imagine a long piece of rope. And it was placed on things that Rome deemed important. And Rome deemed it important that when that stone was put in place, that it would not be moved. That seal was like a badge on a police officer. It said, I've got the authority and power of whatever's behind me with me. When you see a police officer and he stands out in the middle of the road and he puts his hand up and stops your car, why do you stop? You could easily run him over, correct? A 4,000-pound car can easily run over a 180-pound man, but he stops you. You know why? Because he wears a badge that has the authority and power of the state of South Carolina behind it. And if you run over him, you got 10,000 others you're going to have to run over because they're coming after you. And that Roman seal put on that tomb said, if you tamper with this tomb, if you bother this tomb, the government of Rome is coming after you. And what would they do to you according to tradition if you broke the seal of a Roman seal without permission of the Roman government, you would be crucified upside down. Not just crucified, you would be turned upside down and crucified. You don't mess with Rome. That was the message. And yet when the ladies arrived, The tomb is open, the rock has been thrown away, and the seal has been broken. There's only one person who would dare defy Rome. The living God. God is not intimidated by Rome or by anything else of this world. The angels came and they broke the seal and they discarded the stone. So, The scriptures testify he's alive. The stone testifies he's alive. The seal testifies he's alive. Then the soldiers testify he's alive. Matthew 27 verse 66 says, The soldiers were set to watch the tomb. Isn't it amazing how much trouble they went to keep Jesus in the tomb? They, they crucify him, they bury him, they stick him in the tomb, they seal the tomb with a 4,000-pound boulder, they put the Roman seal of authority, do not touch, do not tamper, without or for fear of death. And then on top of that, they take 16 soldiers and they post them as guards around that tomb. 16 soldiers. These are not just any soldiers, although any soldiers would have been fine, I guess. These are the special forces Roman soldiers. These are the elites. These are the seals. These are the green berets that were available to Pilate. 
They're well-trained. They're battle-hardened. They're fearless. And they break up and they form a four-deep perimeter to, on each side of the tomb. North, south, east, west, four soldiers deep guarding that tomb. Now, according to history, these Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb of Jesus were so good that it would take a force ten times their size to have overcome them. So there's 16 of them. It would have taken a force of 160 other soldiers to have, to have battled them if indeed they came to get Jesus' body out. And yet when the women arrive at the tomb early that first Easter, what do they find? The tomb is open. The stone has been thrown away. These elite Roman soldiers, part of them have already ran in fear, and what's there is on the ground shaking in their boots. What did they see? They saw the power of God. Those Roman soldiers were not going to keep Jesus in the tomb. And death and hell and Satan weren't going to keep him from rising again. He came out of that tomb. Now that's another evidence, another testimony. Now may I suggest to you, if we were in a court of law right now, the defense attorney would hold up the white flag. He would surrender. The judge would say, I've heard enough. This is enough evidence. Case solved. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The scriptures tell us a testimony that he's alive. The stone that was rolled away gives testimony that he's alive. The seal that was broken gives testimony that he's alive. The soldiers who were quivering in fear, those who didn't run off, testify he's alive. And then the strips of grave clothes that they hastily wrapped his body in testify that he's alive. And John chapter 20, verse 6 and 7, listen to these words. Simon Peter came following the disciples and the women that went before him. And he went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded all together in a place by itself. The women came in and left. A few of the other disciples came in the tomb and left. Peter finally arrives, doubting Peter. Fearful Peter. And what he sees on the slab where the body of Jesus was laid was the clothes that they wrapped Jesus in perfectly in place. And the, the handkerchief that, that went over the face of Jesus was off to the side, neatly folded. Now let me ask you a question. If somebody broke into the grave to steal the body of Jesus, would they have went to the trouble of taking the handkerchief off his face, folding it neatly, pressing it where it looked nice, 
and laying it off to the side? Would they have left behind the grave clothes? Why not just pick up the whole thing and carry him out? What Peter saw when he came in was astonishing. The handkerchief that covered his face had been neatly folded and pressed off to the side, and the grave clothes that they wrapped Jesus in had not been cut, had not been opened up, had not been tampered with. It's as if his body, like a ghost, just rose up straight out of the clothes. Amazing. And yet that was the story that was told that day. Some thieves broke in. Some thieves broke in. Those thieves were Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Movie coming out. And, and they took the stone and they just chunked it. And then they overcome 16 Green Beret guards. And then they, they got Jesus and they just kind of got his body out of the grave clothes without rustling the grave clothes. And then they took the time to fold the handkerchief. That was what was said. His body was stolen. That was the religious leader's excuse. His body's been stolen. That's what the Romans said. His body's been stolen. That's what we got goofballs today who say his body's been stolen. You say, Pastor, who are those goofballs? They're liberal preachers who stand in the pulpits on Easter and preach flowers are pretty because they can't say Jesus is alive. They don't believe it. It's skeptics and scoffers who want to argue everything they can about Jesus. They don't have an open mind and open heart. They're so full of sin, they, they, they can't accept the fact that there's a Savior who one day is going to judge them for their wickedness. I tell you, he's alive. The strips of clothing, the grave clothes tell us that. But that's not all. The scriptures, the stone, the seal, the soldiers, the strips of grave clothes. And then there were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. These, they just didn't hear about it. They didn't read about it. They actually saw Jesus alive. After his death, they saw him alive with their own eyes. They heard him speak with their own ears. And some of them actually experienced him with their own body. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, He was seen of about 500 brethren all at once. <laughs> 500 people said, we have seen him alive. Not one, not two, not 12, not 50, not 100. 500 said, Amen, he's alive. If two of you said, I was a knucklehead, everybody would believe it here. That's the way we are. Well, two people didn't say he's alive, 500 did. 500 people gave eyewitness testimony. That this one who came into the world supernaturally by way of a virgin birth left the world supernaturally by way of a miraculous resurrection. Nothing natural about Jesus. Everything's supernatural. And then lastly, 
maybe the greatest testimony of all, that he's alive. The changed lives of people that were affected by his resurrection. You know, Jesus doesn't just save you. He changes you. He transforms you. The old person you used to be is put to death. And what comes out of the ashes is a brand new you. A you that's been changed. A you that's being transformed. A you that's different. And if you look at history, there are many men and women, teenagers and boys and girls who met a risen Jesus. And their lives were never the same again. Every one of Jesus' disciples, their lives were transformed after the cross? No, after the empty tomb. Between the crucifixion and the resurrection, they were a bunch of quivering cowards. They didn't know what to do. But when they saw Jesus alive again, it changed everything. Peter, who was a coward, become Peter, who was a conqueror. He was so transformed by the fact that Jesus was alive that when he was put to death, he said, I do not want to be crucified upright. Turn me over and crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. James, the son of thunder, who had a fiery temper, was made head of the early church. And with politeness and with kindness that did not come from him, it come from a risen Christ in him. He led the early church until they took his head off. Jude would be shot with arrows. Paul would be beheaded. Thomas would be stabbed repeatedly. Bartholomew would be flayed like a fish. Every one of them would die horrible deaths because they were transformed by the power of a risen Christ. Through the years, we've had many remarkable people stand on this platform where I'm at right now and testify of the transformation that Jesus Christ, a risen Christ, has brought into their life. Cleve McClary, Georgetown, South Carolina, stood in this church many years ago and testified of how a transformed Christ changed him when he lost half his body in Vietnam. Ralph Johnson, who the VA hospital is named after, covered a hand grenade in that, in that hole. And Ralph Johnson lost his life, and Cleve McClary lost half his body. But it was in that he met a risen Christ. And Cleve McClary would never be the same again. He preaches Jesus with half a body. Tim Lee would find a risen Christ on a clayboard mine in Vietnam. He stepped on that mine. He heard it click, and he knew as soon as he took his foot off what was going to happen. The rest of the men scattered. He took his foot off, and he lost half of his body. But God spared his life, and it was in that experience. He saw a risen Christ, and he gave his life to him. 
Thelma Barfield was in death row in North Carolina for the murder of her husband. She met a risen Christ on death row, and it transformed her life. The officials of the state of North Carolina regretted having to put her to death for the crime that she committed because they saw in her somebody that was totally different than the one who came in. Rusty Woomer, who went on a crime spree in the state of South Carolina, committed horrible crimes against certain citizens. He was a maggot of a man, and yet he met Jesus on death row, and his life was transformed. Everybody who saw him could not explain him. It was because he saw a risen Christ, and it transformed him. And I could go on and on and on, point is this, the greatest testimony that Jesus is alive is what he does to people like you and me when he comes into their life. Transformation. Josh McDowell, in closing, many of you know him. Josh is one of the greatest apologetics Defender of the faith we have today. How did, how did he become such a zealous, passionate defender of Christianity against the agnostics and the atheists and the skeptics and the scoffers and the, and the other bunch of vermin that are out there? It's because he was one of them one time. As a university student, he was looking for something to fill his heart. By the way, all of us are, aren't we? If we're honest, we have a, a hole in our heart. That hole was put there by God. And the only one who can fill that hole in your spiritual heart is the one who put it there, God himself. So, but, but if we don't want God, then what we have to try to do is fill it with something else. And it can't be done. You can't fill a round hole with a square peg. It just doesn't work. And Josh McDowell was doing that as he was a university student. He thought that the, the studies at the university would fill his heart, and it didn't. He thought the parties he went to, the drunkenness, the, the lustfulness, it would fill his heart, and it didn't. He thought sports would fill his heart. He tried sports, but it wouldn't fill it. He tried everything under the sun, S-U-N, to fill something in his heart that he could not fill. Finally, he went to a Christian gathering. He went there more or less just to mock what was going on. But he was drawn there by something, he said. But nevertheless, he went there to mock. And he engaged in a conversation with one of the girls that was there. He said, I don't believe in your religion. I don't believe in it. And she was a bright young lady. And she said, I don't believe in religion either. Let me tell you about Jesus. And she told Josh McDowell about Jesus. And he went back and he began to study everything he could find on Jesus. Not because he wanted to accept Jesus, he wanted to reject him. And he wanted to do it with a clear conscience. But the more he studied about Jesus, the more he came to the conclusion that Jesus was real. Not just a Bible figure, he was a historical figure. He wasn't just a man, but he was the son of the living God. 
He wasn't just crucified, but he actually rose again from the grave. And Josh McDowell, after exhaustive studies to prove that Jesus wasn't real, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he too was transformed, like so many of you, if I gave you a chance, could stand up and say, I am transformed. I've seen the risen Christ. And he's my Savior and my Lord. On this Easter, 1983 years removed from that first Easter, May I ask you to do three things. May I ask you right now to open your mind and heart to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. I realize that some of you here on the journey of faith have never started. You've never really given it a whole lot of consideration, to be honest. You believe in God. You know the Easter story somewhat. You've seen the movies. But is Jesus really alive? Well, eh, eh, I don't know, Pastor. Maybe, maybe not. May I ask you right now just to open your mind and heart to the fact that he might be alive. Begin to search in your mind and in your heart that he might be alive. The reason why many people will never find that Jesus is alive is the same reason why thieves don't find policemen. You're not looking for him. I'm asking you right now, just wherever you're at on this journey of faith, even if you haven't started it, to at least say right now, I believe he could be alive. The pastor has given testimonies. He's given evidences of that fact. So I'm open to believing it. And then I would ask you right now, in the quietness of your own mind and heart, to say something like this. Lord, if you are alive, speak to me some way right now. You have the power, Lord, to speak into my mind and my heart. I'm open to hearing you. Your word says, if I seek you, I will find you. If I seek for you with all my mind and heart. So, Lord, I'm taking down all the barriers. I'm taking away all the excuses. Lord, if you are real, speak to me. Speak into my mind and heart. Tell me you're alive. And if he does, respond to it by bending your knee and bowing your head and say, Lord, be my Lord. And invite him to come into your life. Would you do that? You know, the Bible says something very interesting. Because of your stubbornness and sin, you will not come to me that you might have life. Because of your stubbornness and because of your wickedness, you will not come that you might have life. The Bible says something very interesting. A fool says in his heart, 
there is no God. Think about that. A fool says in his heart. Why wouldn't he say it in his mind? Because intellectually he knows that Jesus is alive. Morally he rejects it because if he accepts Jesus as his Savior, he's got to quit drinking. He's got to quit cussing. He's got to quit skirt chasing. He's got to quit lying and cheating and stealing. And he doesn't want to do that. So what he does is, is he rejects God for moral reasons. Hoping that he's right. Because if he's wrong, he's going to stand before the living God and give an account one day of what he's done. Nobody ever really rejects Jesus Christ intellectually. They do it because they love their sin more than they love a Savior. Today, he's alive. Would you bring him in to your life? that he might be alive in you. In 1979, I invited the living Savior to come inside my dead spirit, and he did, and he gave me life. And what he did for me and has done for so many of you out there, he will do for all of us. You say, Pastor, you don't know who I am. It doesn't matter. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. You don't know who I've done it with. It doesn't matter. You don't know where I did it at. It doesn't matter. You don't know how many times I've done it. It doesn't matter. He'll meet you right where you're at. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll come into your life. He'll breathe his life into you and give you life. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you hope. It doesn't matter what your yesterday was. It doesn't matter what your today is. He'll give you tomorrow. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you a home in heaven. But you've got to receive him. To them that receive him, they have the right to be called the sons and daughters of God, even to those who believe on his name. It's not just enough to believe it here. You've got to receive it. Wouldn't it be wonderful one day to look back, say March 27, 2016, at Easter number 1983, I received the resurrected Christ into my life. And I walked out of that church that day a different person that walked in. I've never been the same since. I now serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. He's in me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.